Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., but it really changes the equation when you, when you don't have a, a big football program like that. Now, that being said, obviously men's basketball is, is our biggest revenue producer right now. And how do you do, do that responsibly and also resource value women's basketball and your women's sports? So that's what our conversation sounds like. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, we are speaking to a trailblazer, the first Latina head of a major college sports conference, Gloria Navarez. She is the new uh, Glow Missioner. That's co-missioner plus Gloria. Glow Missioner of the West Coast Conference. If you don't know what the West Coast Conference is, that is the conference that comprises Brigham Young, Gonzaga, Loyola Marymount, Pacific, Portland, Pepperdine, St. Mary's, University of San Diego, University of San Francisco, and Santa Clara. And we are going to talk to Gloria Navarez about how she handles issues ranging from Title IX to sexual harassment to the encroachment of big football on a conference largely built around basketball and Olympic sports success. Also, I've got some choice words about the Kansas City Chiefs and their release of star running back Kareem Hunt. I also have Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down awards and some commentary about Dwight Howard. But first, let's go to Gloria Navarez. So, Gloria Navarez, how are you doing? Good. I think you, in your intro, just hit on like my first major initiative as the new commissioner in that a lot of people don't know who are the schools in the WCC. I think nationally. Yeah. You know, regionally we have a pretty strong following, but. Yeah. What's the challenge that comes with with, with, uh, having schools like Gonzaga that have this national profile in basketball? Um, Brigham Young, of course, uh, which has a national profile, and then other schools like at Portland or uh, University of San Diego, where they're trying to develop that kind of profile nationally. What's what's the big challenge for you going into this? It's exactly what you just articulated, that WCC. I can't tell you how many people have congratulated me on being the new commissioner of the WAC, the, the West what. Yeah. Um, you know, and... These are great schools. They all have very strong individual brands, you know, and my travel footprint definitely does not suck. But um, I think nationally, I don't know that we've 
been branded as a collective. People know Gonzaga, obviously, and what they've done. And they've known, you know, USF and Santa Clara for other things. But if you asked, who are the WCC? I don't know that people have a really strong identity as do, say, the Big East. Mm-hmm. You know, you really get a knee-jerk reaction with those two words. So that that's my long-term vision and goal is to really bring all these hero brands together and, and have folks understand this umbrella because it's we have so much synergy and like culture within our schools. You know, I mean, they've been together before the first major conference expansion. We were the second most stable conference as far as membership behind the Ivy League. Mm-hmm. We've been together that long. Yeah, that's when you think about other conferences, they seem to be defined by by upset and tumult as opposed to consistency and tradition. And a lot of mm-hmm. that, I think, well, at first I should see if you agree with it. I think a lot of that has to do with realignments because of football money. Um, I mean, w- w- would you agree with that? Yes, and I'm actually writing down what you just said. I like that. It, the consistency and tradition really is part of the special sauce of who we are, not just athletically, but like missions, values, geography, and, you know, the decision-making in the league reflects that when, when folks come together in our league meetings and, you know, the, the respect and camaraderie and, and even the, the difficult courtship of Gonzaga by Mountain West, I thought Mm -hmm. was dealt with in a very, um, I'm trying to think of a good word, but, um, respectful, transparent manner. Um, tempers didn't rage, you know, it was, it was a conversation. Of, yeah. I'm struggling with the words, but you, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no. The, 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 it, it was handled in a way that led to the best possible outcome for the West Coast Conference yeah. as well. Um, yeah. h- how are you going to handle the presence of big football? Because, you know, it, it certainly... Um, it, it, I would say it does not exist at the majority of the schools that you're going to be overseeing. Um, and, and yet at the same time, you, you have to imagine that there's going to be an effort for football to expand inside the West Coast Conference. Um, how are you going to balance uh, being able to integrate football into your vision without it becoming this kind of bull in a china shop that then destroys the consistency and tradition that the WCC has developed? You know, I, being in college athletics, of course, I love college football, and I know it's, it's taking its fair share of criticism right now. Um, we are very fortunate in that BYU is our you know, big football school in the room right now. They're, they're the only big football school. San Diego has football, but they're at the FCS level. Um, and, yeah, it's really just a testament to the people. President Worthen, Tom Holm, as they're you know, obviously also the chair of our council, but just a very um, intelligent and humble and collaborative person, I think, by nature. Tom Homo, same way. And when they're in the room, you almost kind of forget that they're BCS football, the way they treat others, the way they talk about issues, the way they value sports beyond football. Um, So I've been very, very fortunate in that. But, you know, all of us in these jobs have to handle that issue when, at some point in career. So it's, it's not a new thing. 
So I mean, I don't know if I what, what question? Well, no, no, I, I, I get where you're, where, where, where you're coming from. It's just, uh, what, what is your reaction? I mean, is it? Do you see if more of of your schools try to expand and become top uh, college football schools, if that's part of their individual mission statement as schools? Oh yeah. Is your effort going to be to try to help facilitate that or resist that? It would be facilitation. However, given our history, we used to have quite a bit of football. And we had good West Coast, you know, smaller school football, USF, Santa Clara U, um, UOP. And I, got, I don't even know how many years, 15, 20 years ago, maybe longer, it just wasn't sustainable. I think our geography really made it difficult to find those games without investing a lot in flights and long travel and most dropped football. San Diego is the lone uh, one to continue it. And even they are in a league that is very geographically spread out. Um, so I, I'm not sure that that's going to be in our next five to 10 year horizon. Mm-hmm. So it's not something you have to look at um, in, in the near term. I, I definitely understand. I definitely understand yeah. that. And, but also it's, it speaks to that issue that I think – do you think that there's a fallacy that big football equals big money uh, for schools uh, when in reality, like you mentioned, the issue of travel, there's also the issue of you know, just like equipment, facilities, stadiums, that it could also be something that, that, that cripples a school economically? Yeah, big football definitely means big expenses and potential for big revenue. Mm-hmm. I mean that's – it's it like is playing the lottery, the a crown jewel, <laughs> except not all left to chance, but yes, absolutely. And the competition out there. I mean, there are schools that have been in that field a long time, investing decades of building and incremental uh, success to, to become where they are today. Our challenge when it comes to that is really punching outside our weight class. Right. I mean, if you think about our average enrollments, about 7,000, 7,500, that's with BYU. You take BYU out and we're more around 5,500. And someone gave me this stat at the end of the fall season, including fall sports. You know, these are your cross countries, your volleyball. Um, we included men's basketball. Um, what else? Oh, soccer's. We had 13 teams ranked in the top 25 nationally. I mean, for, for who we are and our resources and sizes of those 13 teams that represented eight different sports, four men's, four women's, and it represented six of our 10 institutions. I mean, think about the breadth and depth of be competing in those Olympic sports. I mean, we've got Stanford right up the road. I was just in their gym last night and I was joking with Bernard Muir. They had the Sears cup you know, years that they've won it. And I was like, you could have saved a lot of money and just put from 1995 till present because they've hit every single year winning the Sears Cup, you know, and because of every who they are, the amazing achievement. But for us to be in this footprint where Olympic sports is so successful and to come up with the wins, I mean, BYU volleyball is ranked number one and St. Mary's soccer, men's soccer is undefeated. You're like, what? That, that's really an, a, amazing considering the size of our athletic departments. 
Right, and you need to figure out a way to project that level of success in a series of sports that don't always get the attention of football mm-hmm. and basketball. So that I guess that's going to be one of your big challenges. Going- yeah, and how to, without the platform of football, without the Twitter following you get because of you have a football team or without the platform you have, how do we yell our message get her cut above the noise that is the West Coast media market. I mean, that's the other thing going on in our region. Right, right. You're not the only, I mean, maybe Gonzaga, but other than Brigham Young, but in the, in, with, with all respect, but in terms of, you know, you look where these schools are. I mean, you're talking serious California, uh, California noise, if you will, with, with everything that's going on. Not even with just sports, entertainment dollar, and, you you know, West Coast fans, they'll go outside and go running or biking or hiking they, before they, you know, sit around indoors on a weekend. That's just a fact even for the football schools. Right. So let, let me ask you this. I mean, I mean, we've uh, talked about some of the challenges that, that you, you face, you're going to face in heading up the West Coast Conference. This is quite a historic climb to have you, Gloria Navarez, as the head of a major college conference. And I, I wanted to ask what, what you think was the toughest obstacle in terms of getting where you are? The toughest obstacle. Mm, that's a good one. What was the most, the most difficult hurdle that you had, to, whether it was making people believe you could do it, whether it was a particular job that you had along the way? What was the toughest part of convincing people that you had what it takes to, to, to take on this position? You know, I started in um, compliance and legislation, and that was largely because of my law degree, I think, and, and my entree. But it really was um, – I'm trying to struggle with how to articulate this – uh, moving up title and pay grade, I think those came those came at a different pace, I think, than perhaps maybe peers that had started at a similar time. And I don't know if that's starting in compliance and legislation, which can be kind of a pigeonholing deal, or not uh, breaking into a sport administrative role that allowed me to touch football and men's basketball. Because without those resume items, very difficult to move up and around. And, you know, speaking of of compliance, um, I wanted to ask you about Title IX and Title IX compliance. Um, First of all, how how much of your work uh, do you think will will be involved in, in working with Title IX and making sure you're in compliance with Title IX? How much of that is under a commissioner's uh, purview? You know, we're not subject to Title IX in that same sense that the schools are because we don't receive federal funds. But our programming and policies do impact our schools in the way we schedule, the way we create opportunity in championships. So we're very, very mindful, and it's often a part of our conversation. But I think as a campus administrator, it's a little bit more in your daily world. As a conference administrator, and because I'm passionate about women's sports, um, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we are creating equality of opportunity and 
and I guess resource and investment is equal across the genders in the things that we do. Do you guys speak ever about, you know, that th- there are a series of attacks on Title IX happening at the federal level uh, through Betsy DeVos, Secretary of Education. Do, do, do you guys ever speak about um, among yourselves about how to resist those attacks, how to make sure that you're in compliance with, with the Title IX that you want to see as opposed to the one that's being put forth from Washington? For me, I've only been on the job seven months at the WCC. But no matter where I've been, that is a constant conversation. And for the right reasons. There's a lot of, you know, history in spending and investment that folks are trying to even out or catch up with. Our schools are in a little bit different situation in that we don't have big football at a lot of schools. Again, BYU, uh, USD. So a lot of the sports have a, a brother and sister pairing basketball, soccer, even volleyball, you know, that it makes it a little bit more manageable in that sense. I I couldn't tell you yet whether all our schools are in compliance or not, but it really changes the equation when you, when you don't have a, a big football program like that. Now, that being said, obviously men's basketball is, is our biggest revenue producer right now. And how do you do, do that responsibly and also resource value women's basketball and your women's sports. So that's what our conversation sounds like. Mm. That, that I, I get that, definitely. Now, you, you talked about women's sports. W- women are, I just read, my latest statistic I saw was something like 45% of scholarship athletes um, in the United States. Uh, athletic scholarship. Wow. Athletes. Yeah, scholarship athletes, 45%. Um, all-time high number. Why have so few women, do you think, ascended to the level that you've ascended to, given that pool? Yeah. You know, there's a story that, I mean, obviously, since I've gotten this job, I've been getting that question a lot. You think I'd be better at coming up with my pocket answer. But, you know, when I, you know what the SWA position is in college? Uh, Please explain for my. uh... Yeah. So uh, the NCAA has a a position called the senior woman administrator. And it's just a title that's supposed to float to the highest, uh, the woman in your administration that has the highest rank. And it's called the SWA. So in the beginning, you know, it was really a great opportunity to ensure that you had a female perspective on your senior leadership team. So now pretty much every, every department has a senior woman administrator. The story I tell is the um, when Joe Castiglione hired me at Oklahoma, everyone was like, hey, what happened to Stephanie Rent, who was their current SWA? And it was such an anomaly that she was still there. And Joe hired a second woman. This, there was this natural assumption that she would have to leave before another woman could get onto the Oklahoma senior management team. So I don't know why there's been lack of ascension. I think across sports, the issue is also in coaching, but the the coaching issue really is about, I think, work-life balance and the time on the road and recruiting. I, I mean, I find that this job is amazing and fun. And on my worst day, I'm still working in sport. I can't, I don't understand why, why more people wouldn't want to be in the mix. Mm-hmm. It, but it, but um, I certainly know quite a few women in the pipeline, 
for sure. So maybe maybe 10, 20 years, this could look very different than it looks right now, possibly. Hopefully. I really do appreciate your time. Um, you're giving me a lot of it. I'm so sorry I'm taking so much of it. Um, no problem. I, I got nothing yeah. today. It's all good. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to uh, <clears throat> just, excuse me, I'm a little under the weather. Just a couple other questions I, I did I did want to ask you is. So, um, real quick, where are you based? Oh, I'm in D.C., so for me, it's like after, it's like 1130. I've been awake for hours, you know, totally different. Uh, it's also really cold out there. <laughs> yes. All right, so you've got, you've, you're in a much more beautiful, albeit flammable part of the country, but yeah. still. <laughs> True. So the trade-offs all around. Um, I, I, I did want to ask you about the question of, um, you know, we're living in, in, in this era of Me Too, and the question of, of when, when you're in this world of sports, the question of sexual harassment as you're attempting to make it up uh, the ladder and ascend, um, how, how much of that have you had to navigate um, on your way to heading up? the? You know, it's, I was just talking about this the other day to a young person in my office because somebody asked me, what advice would you give to young women in the field today? And Great question. Know, my, yeah, yeah, and I always struggle. And my answer was, you know, ask, knock on the door, invite yourself in. The the net, you know, everything they say about sports, not what you know, who you know. And those are, I think, the important tipping points in how I've gotten different jobs is networking and knowing the right people. And the truth is, you have to be vigilant, but you can't be too much of anything as a woman in sport, because let's face it, into society and life, there are a lot of uh, malintended people. And in, and in the gender context, you know, there are a lot of guys who could, would do abuse their position of power. And you just have to be aware. I mean, you take more coffee than you do go out for drinks, dinner invites, you really have to analyze what is the motivation behind this invite and and just be smart about the whether there's a risk or not when you engage in networking and that's unfortunate but if that's what you navigate you don't want to be too righteous title 9 you don't want to be too um hardcore modeling of male behaviors i mean you it's about being authentic and who you are, but also uh, I, I guess networking and evaluating opportunities in the right way. And are, are you familiar with the work of uh, Brenda Tracy? Yeah. And the work that she's done, Set the Expectation. We, we've had her as a guest on the podcast. Um, do you see that being part of your work about trying to develop these sports programs to be, um, to be voices, uh, for male and female sports, to be voices for women's rights, uh, voices against sexual harassment, sexual assault. Is that something you'd like to provide leadership on in the WCC? Well, yeah. In the same way that sports is the front porch to most universities on just a fan fan and introductory level, it also is a platform from which I think a lot of athletes nas professionally, nationally 
are using that platform to have a voice. And I think that's exactly what we're in college, what we're asking and training young people to do. They're finding out who they are. They're finding out what issues are important to them. And, and they have a platform that other students don't. They're on television. They're interviewed. They have access to media. Um, so I, I think that's very much a part of what the WCC represents and encourages and, and values about the student athlete experience. Um, I think, you know, the issues Brenda Tracy's tackling about sexual assault and sexual misconduct, while they're not specifically athletic issues, they are national issues. They are issues on all college campuses. She has done an amazing job of using the platform in a positive manner. She had a horrific thing happen to her, but she's giving back into programs and football teams in a manner that promotes the conversation. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. She's not trying to tear down that. the institution. You know, she's trying to make it better. Well, yeah, she's, she's trying to repurpose them uh, yeah. to do a different kind of leadership and work, which is, I think, revolutionary in its way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have to ask you this as well, because when I was uh, researching you, um, I didn't know that you were in China with the Pac-12 during the the Ball family <laughs> um, soap operatics of a year ago. Right. And then Donald Trump, did he or didn't he intervene to help uh, Leandro Ball? I mean, there, there was there's so much to that story. I guess I just wanted to ask you, I mean, if nothing else, it must have been great preparation. I mean, just being, uh, 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 I guess, uh, not so <laughs> much a, on the wall, but yeah, like, like, but uh, sort of like in the center of, of, of a maelstrom like that. Um, can you speak at all to what that was like? Surreal is the word that comes up. I was, I was part of a four-person advanced team that was with uh, UCLA and Georgia Tech in Hangzhou, which was about a week before the majority of the staff was coming over because we were visiting Alibaba. That's why we were out in Hangzhou. And it was just surreal. I'd gone to work out, came up, saw a bunch of official-looking guys running around the floor, immediately checked, didn't see any coaches or student-athletes, went and took a shower, came out, and it was just Student-athletes had been sequestered in their rooms, being interviewed by police. In China, the investigation happens first. Legal consultation happens afterwards. So it became very quickly an exercise in learning the process, managing the communication. Oh, my gosh, that was translators, their translators, our translators. We had one of the young men was a minor, so I actually had to ride in the paddy wagon with him to the, the station. We spent 20 hours, uh, Coach Alford, the administrators from UCLA, myself, outside Chinese jail trying to negotiate um, this, this issue. And it was terrifying. You know, I mean, the world, and, and rightly so, it was a dumb thing. They admit it was a dumb thing. These aren't habitual offenders. They're first-time offenders, you know, and that it was just mm-hmm. dumb to the ultimate degree. But it was terrifying. I mean, we are out in far away from Shanghai, halfway around the world. And we've got three African-American basketball players in Chinese jail. I mean, this is the stuff that, unbelievable. you know, movies are made out of. 
And then right. the president of the United States is coming the next day. We have a B-level celebrity star on his way with a reality TV show crew with him. We have two embedded sports reporters, ESPN and Atlanta Journal-Constitution, um, with us. I mean, it just couldn't have been a worse combination of factors, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, but to your point, it was... An experience. yeah. And getting through it, you know, I was really proud about how the Pac-12 and UCLA and even Georgia Tech, poor Georgia Tech. I mean, of course, they had three guys got pulled into jail and it was very quickly determined that they weren't involved. But once the process started, they had to finish it out. So they they were there with us. Their kids were in Chinese jail. One of their young men um, was sick. He hadn't even left his room all day. And then someone knocks on his door and it's Chinese police. And he's just like, wait, what? (laughs) You know? (laughs) <laughs> Poor kid. <laughs> that that's a scene unto itself. Well, if nothing else, it's given you um, terrific preparation for the job at hand. Uh, <laughs> um, one, one one last question. I ask this of all our guests on the Edge of Sports uh, show here: is what as you're trying to do the work that you're trying to do, as you're trying to take this on, what music do you listen to? What music do you listen to Ooh, either good. to? to relax as you work, as in what's playing in the background, or to listen to when you turn the computer off, turn the phone off, and need to just uh, hear something? Honestly, I love sugary girl empowerment songs, which is really embarrassing to admit because I am a metalhead from the 80s. (laughs) Ah, so give us an example of a sugary girl empowerment song. Uh, This is my fight song. Um... Oh gosh, I can't even come up with the titles right now because you've put me on the spot. Let me let oh, me it's okay. remember them and I'll. <laughs> How about some some of your, any of your any metal groups uh, that were near and dear to your heart growing up? Yeah, I was a huge Guns N' Roses fan. Okay, see now you're giving us something here to work with. Um, excellent, a little appetite. <laughs> For, for our listeners. Right? Um, yeah, there we oh, go. The young people, do. someone in my, one of the younger punks that I work with said, oh yeah, like classic rock. I'm like, no, you're fired. No young yeah. man, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, to the Glow Missioner, Gloria Navarez, good luck with your work at the WCC. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation Magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words about the latest breaking news as we're doing this podcast in terms of NFL running back Kareem Hunt, now off the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, look, a tape has emerged, as you undoubtedly know, of 
now former Kansas City Chiefs star running back Kareem Hunt pushing and then kicking a 19-year-old woman outside of his hotel-slash-apartment last February in Cleveland. Her word was that this confrontation happened because she refused to hook up with one of Hunt's friends at 3 o'clock in the morning when this all took place. His word was that she started yelling racial slurs at him and his friends after they asked her to leave when they found out she was a minor. Either way, Hunt is now gone from the Chiefs as the footage has gone viral. Another disturbing part of the footage was seeing this 19-year-old speak to the police and have her say that they took her cell phone away and that when she went to the front desk of the hotel to ask if she could call the police, they told her that they would not let her because she was a quote-unquote slut. Yet, either way, however we look at this story, the fact remains that Hunt is now gone from the Kansas City Chiefs. But this assault, to repeat, took place in February, and Hunt was not released from the team until the video went public on TMZ. Now, the team quickly put out the word through all the usual NFL access merchants that, and here's just one example, as Ian Rappaport put it, neither the NFL nor the Chiefs had seen the video before it was published today. I'm told that the league made several attempts to obtain it, The hotel said it was corporate policy to only turn it over to law enforcement, but Cleveland PD would not provide it to the league. That's what Ian Rappaport said. But NFL player Ben Watson, I think, spoke for many of us when he said in response on Twitter to Ian Rappaport, I find that extremely hard to believe, Ian. Extremely hard. The idea that TMZ somehow has the ability to find videos when the NFL, with its host of former FBI agents and cops on their security payroll, cannot strains credulity. Far more likely is the reality that the NFL and the Chiefs knew a video existed, and they were either satisfied with what Hunt told them at the time, or were simply hoping that the video never got out. This entire situation also has an ugly echo of the Ray Rice case. Surely we remember this uh, from several years back. Ray Rice, running back for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, was given a light suspension from the NFL for punching and knocking out his fiancée, soon-to-be wife, Janae Palmer, and yet that quickly became what's in effect been a lifetime ban when the video went public. So in other words, it takes video for the league to actually do anything. It takes embarrassment for the league to do anything. It takes public exposure for the league to do anything. This also comes the same week that the Washington football team, the Washington racial slurs, uh, attempted to sign Reuben Foster, who uh, was released from the San Francisco 49ers after his third arrest this year for violence against women. And then they faced a holy hell of a backlash. This is an ugly look for a league that wants to look like it's some kind of moral patriotic force in society, when in reality, they are just out for the buck and they don't take prisoners. And their commitment to actually being some sort of force against violence against women is about as serious as their commitment to trying to get guaranteed contracts for players or take on the issue of head injuries. It's for public consumption 
it's not something that actually exists in the real world. And now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. The Just Stand Up Award is connected to the Kareem Hunt story. One of the things that's been a silver lining in all of this is that you haven't seen NFL players go thin blue line on this. In other words, uh, not say anything in condemnation of Kareem Hunt. You've seen several players and former players go on the social media and condemn Kareem Hunt for what happened. That's a positive. I mean, you can't have players being silent in the face of this. They need to be able to condemn not only Kareem Hunt, but the moral compass of the league itself. And the more players who do that, the better. So thank you, Ben Watson. uh, And thank you, uh, Martellus Bennett. And thank you to every player who's refused to be silent in the face of this. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit your ass down. Goes to the Washington football team. I mean... This team, the one named after a racial slur, still manages to be uniquely disgusting on the NFL landscape. As I mentioned earlier, the team reached out to make a waiver claim on Reuben Foster, arrested three times in 2018 on charges of violence against women. And then the team was further embarrassed after this was called absolutely shameful when they said they had only tried to sign Foster after speaking to some of his former Alabama teammates that were on the roster. And the problem was that no one had told the former Alabama teammates that they were asked about Reuben Foster, and several had said that they had not been asked. And then, Senior Vice President Doug Williams, that's former Super Bowl hero Doug Williams, the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl, Doug Williams, said this was his response to why it was justified to sign Reuben Foster. He said, We've got people who are in high, 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 high places that have done far worse And if you look at it realistically, they're still up there. This is small potatoes compared to a lot of things out here. Basically, what Doug Williams is saying is, we have a moral trash fire as president of the United States, so what's wrong with signing Reuben Foster? I mean, wow. That's a heck of an argument right there. I mean, well, shoot. You've got somebody as disgusting as Donald Trump as president, so who cares what we do? After the outcry about that, Doug Williams issued another statement saying, I want to apologize to the organization, my wife, my mom, my sisters, and the six daughters that I have. Uh, And then to say that he never should have made such a statement steeped in uh, moral bankruptcy. Although one has to raise always when this takes place is why is it always about having a wife mom sisters and daughters like why can't you just be against it because you know you're against it like why does it always have to be about well i'm related to women therefore i guess women are actually people so that's all i got to say about that although one last note is as much as i i think doug williams absolutely humiliated himself this week There's something disgusting about a team that puts Doug Williams out there to do all of these public statements when it comes to these kinds of controversial issues. You didn't see owner Dan Snyder out there. No, no, no. You didn't see team president Bruce Allen out there. No, no, no. They're cowards. And they ran behind Doug Williams because Doug Williams has kind of a civil rights cachet and a lot of local popularity because of his trailblazing status as a black quarterback who won a Super Bowl. And for them 
to basically be like, push Doug out there to say this disgusting thing. I mean, it just speaks to the general moral degeneracy of this organization and why the Washington football team hemorrhages fans. It's like nothing I've ever seen in the 20 years I've lived in D.C., the way this has become like from the team that everybody loves and adores to the team that people are even embarrassed to wear their colors. And this is as the NFL has grown in popularity over the last 20 years. The Washington football team under the stewardship of Daniel Snyder has been nothing but an embarrassment. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Now, one last thing on the show. Normally, this is when we do a Kaepernick watch on the show, but this week, I'm going to go away from that and speak a little bit about uh, Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard, for those of you who don't know, he's the center for the Washington Wizards. He is on the shelf right now. He is uh, in, having surgery on his lower back, his upper glute, his butt, whatever you want to call it, uh, because he has a, actually an incredibly painful sciatic nerve issue uh, in that part of his body. Uh, this week, in addition, though, he's been in the news because a person came forward uh, and said that he had a sexual relationship with Dwight Howard and was basically outing Dwight Howard and saying that some of Dwight Howard's people were threatening him. Dwight Howard has not commented on this. Most of the mainstream media has not looked at this. It's certainly been a huge discussion on social media. And uh, now that Dwight Howard, I have to say somewhat conveniently, is indefinitely on the shelf, he doesn't have to address this. And I just wanted to read the words from Sid Ziegler, who is one of the founding members of Outsports, which is a tremendous website that deals with LGBTQ athletics. I asked Sid Ziegler about all the homophobia on social media that came with this. And this is what Sid Ziegler said to me. He said, this wasn't the Twitter reaction when Jason Collins came out. Why? Because of how he did it, the way he did it, controlling his own message with a well-placed story, garnered respect, and people responded accordingly. It's the way the story has unfolded. A gay guy is spilling tea. So people have reacted accordingly, like they're all at a kiki dishing shade. How the message is shared can be as important as what the message is. That's the real lesson here. I just wanted to put that out there. I think that's a smart comment um, because a lot of people have been like really alarmed about all the homophobia that's accompanied this. And a lot of people have asked like, wow, have we actually gone backwards since Jason Collins uh, came out and played in the NBA for the Brooklyn Nets? So what you're seeing here though is something that seems very reactionary, but we also have to realize that first of all, sports is still an incredibly homophobic institution. And the way this has come out and Dwight Howard now running for cover, I mean, it's just created a situation that's ugly more than anything else. 
And frankly, the wizards being so god-awful doesn't help matters. So let me ask this question of you, the Edge of Sports listener, and you can email me your answer at edgeofsports at gmail.com. 401-426-3343, that's 401-426-EDGE, or you can email me, Dave Zirin, at edgeofsports at gmail.com. My question for you is, do you think we've gone backwards since Jason Collins or Sid Ziegler Wright? And this is about the way that uh, this story came out with an outing and all the rest of it. Where do you think we are in terms of acceptance of gay male athletes in sports? Let me know. Let me know what you think. That's that's 401-426-3343. That's 401-426-EDGE. Or uh, you can email me at edgesports at gmail.com. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much to Gloria Navarez for joining us. Thank you to everybody out there listening. Uh, We're going to have another show next week. Hopefully then I won't be playing injured because I'm sick, but I'm still bringing you this podcast because even though I'm sick, I've missed doing it. Ah, so everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.